Lord Jesus, would you please speak through my words? And would you help us to understand a little bit more about ourselves and a little bit more about you, so that we might become more like you? Amen. Well, Peter writes in this quite difficult passage, um, but, but a really glorious passage. He writes this opening sentence, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter praises God for what God has done. God has taken people who were spiritually dead and has made us spiritually alive. You know, it's almost as if half of us, imagine yourself divided down the, down the middle. Half of you is physical, half of you is spiritual. What Peter is saying is, of course, we are all physically alive. What Peter is here saying is he's saying to you, speaking to believers, and he's saying he has taken us who are half alive, physically alive, but the other side was dead, spiritually dead, and he has given us and made us spiritually alive. And he goes on in this passage to talk of this new birth and how as Christians we are new people. We were dead, not physically, spiritually. We were dead, but now we are alive. So first of all, Paul speaks about the new hope. He's given us new birth into a living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. We cannot separate this hope from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the ground of our hope. Because 2,000 years ago, God raised Jesus from the dead, he can and he can raise our bodies. And it's a foretaste, a preview, the model of our own resurrection. The Bible speaks of the resurrected Jesus as the first fruits of the general resurrection of all believers. What kind of body will you have in the resurrection? Well, actually, Paul says somewhere else that it's a silly question to ask. But he says what we do know is that the body of Jesus was in some way a glimpse of our future glory. When we were spiritually dead, our hope was for this world. We hoped that we would make it, that we would be spotted, that we'd become a celebrity or famous, that we'd receive a massive inheritance or that we'd win the lottery. Or if we gave up those dreams, we hoped maybe that we'd be able to gain promotion, get a bigger salary, have children, find love, buy a larger house, enjoy a prosperous retirement. But, says Peter, now that we've been born again, we begin to glimpse the real inheritance that we have. It's not here, it's there. It's not now, it's then. Imagine the most astonishingly beautiful jewel. It is priceless. 
And it's exactly right for you. It's the right shape. It's the right colours. It's the right texture. And it's being kept in heaven for you. It is your inheritance. Imagine your own body. Maybe now it's a little bit frail or aching. Maybe it's quite strong, but it's still aching. But imagine your body, beautiful, powerful and glorious. Every bit working as it does, say if you're 35 now, no, as it should be as you're 35 now, or maybe when you were 35, but far more than 35. Imagine that you're walking through a jaw-droppingly stunning landscape with mountains and rivers, fields, gardens and palaces. And the one you are with says, I made it. This is all mine. But all that is mine is now yours. Imagine the most incredible feast where there's music and dancing. And yes, even someone like me can dance. And colour and laughter. And every guest is a celeb. I mean, they're major celebs. And you want to talk to them. Only to discover that they are queuing up because they want to talk with you. And now imagine that you look at the one who is walking beside you and you see someone whose face shines with radiant glory, who holds together gentleness and power, authority and tenderness. And this person looks at you, sees right into you and right through you, and they love you. Imagine that, and now listen to this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind can begin to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. We have a new hope as people who are spiritually alive. Secondly, we have a new power. Verse 5, we are shielded by God's power. When we were spiritually dead, we looked for power in the things of this world. It's all the W's, weapons, wealth, wisdom, or even human willpower. I watched the film The Green Lantern the other day. It's the sort of film I love. I know I live a sad life. It was about these green aliens who protect the universe from the cosmic bad guys. And the source of their power is the willpower of all created beings. But when we become spiritually alive, we begin to realise that our power is as nothing compared to the power of the one who created life and who brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. We're like an eight-year-old challenging Vladimir Klitschko to an arm-wrestling match. And we begin to realise that it is this power that is guarding us. It won't stop us going through trials or troubles. Peter is very clear about that. Many of the first believers had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, he writes. And then he goes on and he says, these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise to God. And we all go through trials. 
The trials that come from being part of a fallen human race, of loneliness, anxiety, physical suffering, of growing older and having what we love stripped away from us, of death. But also the trials that come to us because we stand for Jesus Christ, of being honest, of giving up our rights, of suffering for doing good in silence, of speaking at the right time of the hope that we have. Peter knew only too well of those trials. When he was younger, he had been challenged. A serving girl asked him if he was a follower of Jesus. If he said yes, he would have been mocked, maybe worse. So he said no, not just once, but three times. He had been tested, and because he had tried to rely on his own wisdom, on his own willpower, he had been found wanting. He was heartbroken, but Jesus met him and forgave him. When he was older, he was invited to a meal by some non-Jewish members of a congregation. He should have gone, but he bottled out. He was more afraid of what the Jewish members of the congregation would say about him than he was about doing what was right. He had been tested and he had been found wanting. And I suspect he was heartbroken again and I suspect again Jesus met with him and forgave him. But according to tradition, as an old man, he stood in front of the imperial court of Rome. He was ordered to deny that Jesus was the Christ, to deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. But this time it was different. Over the years he had learned that he couldn't rely on his own strength, but he had to rely on the power of God. So now he did not deny Jesus. Now he stood up for Jesus, even though it meant they would take him, not mock him, not laugh at him, but crucify him. The power of God is the power that gets us through the trials of life and upholds us so that we remain faithful to him. This is the power which picks us up when we have fallen down and which puts us again on our feet. This is the power which enables the parent to go on worshipping and serving God even after their child has been taken from them. This is the power which enables a man or woman to forgive, to forgive, to forgive and to go on forgiving. This is the power which enables someone to stand firm for what is right in the face of appalling intimidation. We have a new power. And thirdly, we have a new love. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. We seek what we love. Spiritually dead people love the things of this world. They set their hearts on them and they seek the things of this world. More money, greater status, sex, security, adventure, the satisfaction of physical desires. But when God makes us alive, he gives us a new heart and he gives us a new love. We begin to see who the Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we begin to love him. We begin to want to get to know him better, to hear him. And we long to see him. We seek him. In the early 13th century, a man called Richard Richard was Bishop of Chichester. 
he wrote a well-known prayer. It goes as follows. Thanks be to you, our Lord Jesus Christ, for all the blessings which you have given us and for all the pains and insults which you have borne for us. Most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly and follow you more nearly day by day. So we have a new hope, a new power, a new love, and finally we have a new joy. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. A bit later on he writes, and even though you do not see him, Jesus, now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. When we were spiritually dead, our joy was in the things of this world. When things went well, when we succeeded, when life was good and the sun was shining, we rejoiced. When we suffered, when life did not go well, when the sun was not shining, all joy went. Well, the joy that Peter is writing of here is a joy which sticks with us, even when we go through trials. We realise there's a purpose in the trials. There are two reasons, says Paul Peter, that we go through trials. The first is so that our faith may be shown to be genuine. If I trust God when things are going well, but ditch him when things get difficult, then it's not real faith. Faith holds on to Jesus when the sun is shining and when the sun is not shining. Real faith is when we walk through the night and nobody seems to be there and we cry out, I cannot see you, I cannot feel you, but I know you are here and I will go on living for you, I'll go on trusting on you, in you. I hold on to the hope you have given me. The second reason we go through trials is so that there will be praise, glory and honour when Jesus on that last day is revealed. It's that moment when suddenly the darkness lifts and we see that he is there, that he has been there, and we rejoice with an inexpressible joy. I do hope that you've had glimpses of that joy here and now. One of the Puritans who wrote about 500 years ago, somebody actually quite local, described it as walking through life together with Jesus, like a child with their father. Sometimes he holds our hand. Sometimes we hear him clearly. But at other times we are so wrapped up in ourselves it seems as if he's not there. Or maybe he's just moved away a little bit so that we can begin to grow and get our own feet. But then there are those moments when he comes to us, picks us up, and hugs us, tells us he loves us, and then puts us down again. But even if you've not had glimpses of that joy here and now, please don't despair or think you don't belong to him, because one day you will see him, and you will know him, and you will be filled with a joy inexpressible. Has God made you spiritually alive? Are you someone who is alive, spiritually, or dead? We need to look into ourselves. 
A man called Calvin wrote 500 years ago, it's true, all true knowledge begins with knowledge of God and knowledge of ourself. As you look into yourself, ask, is there any flicker of hope when you hear about the resurrection of Jesus? Is there any recognition of your dependence on the power of God, that power which brought Jesus back from the dead, which can hold us even when we fall and which gives us joy in the middle of suffering? Is there any spark of love for this Jesus, real love, who loves you, who died for you and who rose again for you? Do you desire to hear him, see him and to know him better? Is that becoming the greatest of your loves? Is there any sense of joy of the presence of Jesus, even in our suffering? Because if there is, then you are spiritually alive. Or maybe today you've begun to realise that actually, no, I haven't got that life. Half of me is alive, but the other half of me is still dead. I'm living for this world and the things of this world, but I'm aware there's something more. I know that I want to become spiritually alive. Maybe you've tried already to make yourself alive. You've tried to be good, to be religious. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer that Christians talk about praying. But nothing has worked. Could I suggest a different approach? Recognize you are spiritually dead. Recognize that dead people cannot make themselves alive. You know, if you have a heart attack, you can't give yourself a heart transplant. You can't cut yourself open, take out your heart, get another heart, and put it back in. You can't do it. And you can't get the spiritual defibrillator and put it onto yourself. We cannot make ourselves alive. But God can. So could I suggest that we stop trying to make ourselves alive and simply ask God to make us spiritually alive, to work his miracle in us, to put his spirit in us. And if you are spiritually alive, praise God for that, but please, please live as someone who is spiritually alive. Don't put your hope in the things of this world in that. For the sake of that world, stuff this world. That might sound strong language, but it's actually what Paul writes in Philippians. Don't rely on the power of this world, and please do not put your trust in your own wisdom or strength or capacity to work hard or willpower, and instead rely on him. Your final fulfillment will come from nothing or nobody here. But on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, and then there will be joy and glory and honour and praise. Maybe uh, something of what I've been saying uh, is speaking to you today, and you think, no, I really want to find out more about that. Unfortunately, I've got to go straight on from here to St. Peter's, but Matthew is here behind, staying behind, and has got a few little booklets. So if you would like to find out a little bit more, Please have a chat with Matthew. Thank you.